your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. Doing so does not cost you a single penny and ensures you never miss another episode. On tonight's podcast, there are a couple of very important topics to discuss in terms of the uh, the world of NHL transactions and some major deals. Of course, one of the biggest ones is the Jack Eichel trade. I'll talk about that, you know, my thoughts on the return and what I see the longer term implications being. And then I'll close out with some thoughts on Winnipeg versus Chicago, which will be tomorrow night's game. I don't really think this one's going to be super crazy, but there are some interesting changes to the roster that have occurred. So we'll go over that at the end. But first off, let us talk about the Jack Eichel trade. This one has been stewing for a long time. I think a lot of people were expecting this deal to kind of go down sooner rather than later. It seemed like Vegas and Calgary were, at this point in time, the lead front runners. There was a rumor that surfaced that uh, Matthew Tuchuk was going to be part of some mega package to bring Eichel in. For my money, I kind of wondered about this because unless Tuchuk was really thought to be on the way out and not really signing his, his next contract... I felt like he wouldn't nearly be as on the block as some of the other players. Uh, if they wanted to move Mangiapane and like a massive prospect or player pick haul, I could see that. But in terms of like an NHL roster player, I just felt like Tuchuk would be more of a last ditch move if in fact Tuchuk was thought to be leaving in free agency or something like that. I know that the Flames have at times struggled over the past couple of years and maybe they felt Tuchuk was going to ask for way more money than they were willing to spend and uh, ultimately just deciding to move on. Because there haven't really been all that many trade rumors around him, I didn't really lend a lot of weight to that whole trade offer. I just felt like the Flames might be out there, but this could have been more of Buffalo trying to proposition and and setting a market price for uh, an increase on Vegas's end. The actual trade itself sent Eichel and a 2023rd third round pick to Vegas in exchange for Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, a protected 2022 first round pick, which is just top 10 protected, and a 2023rd third round pick. So they exchanged third round picks for some reason. They got two first round prospects, uh, one that will be a future first rounder, and then Alex Tuck. So this package, I think a lot of people were kind of like, well, it's a bit of a mediocre return. And on the one hand, I think the situation is kind of like, well... It's going to be difficult to really get much better. I think you have to understand that with Eichel being sidelined with injury, he's going to be out for at least a couple of months, most likely. Uh, and certainly, he's made it clear he's not playing for Buffalo again. You don't tend to have a lot of leverage when it comes to a situation like this. So Eichel had to go some way, somehow, and it ultimately came down to a package that, you know, for the Sabres, I, I don't think is as bad as it seems. Uh, you get a really good player in Tuck. Alex has kind of had maybe more middling seasons over the past couple of years, but overall I think his game, especially when he was playing under Gallant, was was basically unstoppable at times. He has like that Blake Wheeler ability to cut outside, 
drive with the puck, attack the slot, and use a really strong big frame to, to score a lot of greasy goals. He's also got a very hard shot, and it just seems like if you're looking for the Sabres to maybe start to work around a grindier forecheck, fast counters, and uh, working around a lot of talent deficiencies under Granado, maybe Tuck is actually a pretty okay fit. You know, he, he may be looking a little bit mediocre for the, the Knights right now, but if you give him a fresh change of scenery, maybe a new attempt to stay healthy over the next couple of years, and a system that might actually favor his style of play, I feel like Tuck might actually start to see something of a career resurgence. I know that he's never really been more than maybe a 50-point guy, but when you look at the underlying results that he puts up and how he approaches the game, I think he's a really great player and certainly somebody who might be more of a top six guy than he looks right now. I think he'll have modest second line production with Buffalo for the first season or so. I could see him being a really good player down the road, especially as he starts to get more familiarity with the team. But for the time being, the first season, you know, maybe he racks up 45, 50 points. I think he could do that pretty easily. Krebs is a very interesting proposition because by all accounts, he is a stud prospect. And though he hasn't really done a lot so far in like the 13 whole games that he's played with Vegas, it's really hard to glean that much from a small sample like that. I mean, you're basically talking about barely a cup of coffee at the NHL level. Whereas Krebs at lower levels has basically dominated almost every junior league that he's been in. So I feel like Peyton is going to be a monster scorer. Uh, for Buffalo, they're getting potentially an elite center down the road. I know that his game maybe looks a little bit raw right now, but it's not like he's going to be a, a player that is going to be throw away in a few years. Krebs is pretty darn legit, and I think that there is a case longer term to say that he will bring tremendous amounts of value, and he might be somebody who is not that far off from being like a Jack Eichel player in his prime. That's obviously forecasting way ahead, and certainly um, for, for replacing Eichel's value, I think you have to be honest. You're just going to lose almost every trade that you have with Eichel, especially in the present. Uh, if, you're, if you're losing Eichel and the stuff that he can do, it's obvious that you're not going to get anyone as good in the immediate present. He's just a monster player. He's excellent in transition. He can be a, a volume shooter with an elite release and uh, an incredibly gifted creative playmaker. I know that his last year maybe looked a little bit rough, but I think with all of the injury stuff that's going on and certainly Buffalo's own incompetence and, and situations on the ice, I feel like he just needs a new place to thrive. And Vegas is probably the best landing point. He will probably fit them quite well, and I think he's got an ability to be a dominant playmaker and somebody who could easily rack up 70, 80 points in, in like a fully healthy season. They'd probably be looking for a little bit more production than that, but I'm certain that he will hit lofty numbers with that franchise. They have a style of attacking that I think very much fits the way that Eichel can see the ice. But what will be interesting for Vegas is how exactly they work around this whole cap situation because they're going to be over the cap by a decent amount once everyone is healthy, and Eichel may be back even sooner than like three months. So we'll see how it all pans out. I think that he has the potential to be a superstar for Vegas. Uh, this is a team that is still kind of getting younger by trading away prospects, which kind of a curious way to build. I think the way that Vegas has approached this is very different than what most NHL teams believe is like the most appropriate way to do it. At some point, I do think the magic lamp is going to run out and, and Vegas is going to have a couple of lean years. But for the time being, if you think that your roster is competitive, just go for it. And I think that that's what they've embraced. And so far, it tends to work out. In just a moment, we'll talk about what this might mean for the rest of the league and talk about some stuff with uh, additional free agent signings and all that. Before then, though, I thought you should hear a little bit about why betonline.ag should be the only place to do your online betting. We're back and better than ever. 
All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Into another sport? No problem. BetOnline has your back with European football, soccer, NASCAR, MLS, MLB, NBA, every kind of sport imaginable is at your fingertips. Go to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From all your favorite sports right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the safest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. So start your winning path today. Sign up for a free account at betonline.ag and don't forget promo code LOCKEDON at registration. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We uh, thank you for making Locked on Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. You know, regarding the whole Eichel trade, I wanted to talk a little bit about what this might mean for the Pacific Division and stuff because it actually gets very interesting. Vegas is kind of one of those teams that I think a lot of people have been both very impressed with and also maybe a little bit disappointed by. After that magical Stanley Cup Finals run that ultimately saw them fall to uh, the Washington Capitals, it kind of feels like they've struggled to find that next level and, and really improve. If anything, once they kind of hit such a high summit... Everything after has been a little bit less ideal, is, is how I would describe it. Uh, the defending has definitely been very poor over the past season. This year, it's worse than ever. They're conceding tons of really high-quality, high-danger chances, which, you know, for the Knights, they can't really defend well. And it's something that I think Lerner would probably prefer not to have to deal with. Uh, this is a team that traditionally had a lot of really good defensive plays through strong offensive possession, but under DeBoer, things haven't really been as ideal. But, you know, with all of that said, they're now bringing in an elite franchise center who, if he can recover to his form from before his uh, before his injuries and stuff, he will be a monster. Eichel has the ability to change the game in ways that not many players can, and his impact at both ends of the ice makes him really one of the top centers in the league. I think he's probably somewhere in kind of like that Evgeny Kuznetsov tier of player, and I mean like Kuzi when he's really good. Uh, Kuzi, when he's absolutely at his best, he's like a top 10 player in the NHL regardless of position. I kind of think Eichel can get there, but it's going to take some work, and I don't know that the rehab is going to be something that's a, like a, a quick process. It's going to take at least several weeks, if not a few months. Uh, but for the rest of the league, once Eichel is kind of back, I mean, this Knights team is going to be dangerous. Uh, but I think it also brings up some very interesting questions about how you deal with a situation where Eichel was holding out because he had external medical advice on, on getting surgery and the team itself felt differently. So this kind of trade scenario you don't really see very often. I think it's the first time that I can recall where a medical procedure was kind of the primary sticking point, especially around the trade of a superstar. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it, and I think the Sabres kind of put themselves in such a position where they really didn't have any choice, and the return itself was so off-putting for a lot of people that I think you have to ask, was it really worth trading him? And the answer, in my opinion, is obviously going to be yes. You had to get rid of him. One way or another, you had to trade him. He didn't want to play for the Sabres anymore. I think on a personal level, it was just good to find him a new home, and ultimately... The return that they got is not terrible in light of the circumstances, but I think Buffalo will have to do some soul-searching as to how it ever got to this point. Uh, the previous managements and, and regimes kind of really put the Sabres in a spot where growth and development just didn't occur. I mean, this was a team that 
they won like 10 games in a row one time and after that it's been absolute disaster after absolute disaster. This is the first season where it feels like things are starting to come together in a way that they haven't in many years so maybe the Sabres are kind of on the up and up but before then it was pretty rough. Now they're actually starting to have a functional defense that looks pretty darn good. Rasmus Dahlin is starting to look more like the first overall pick he was billed to be, and they have some interesting players coming in, plus a few extra picks that could be valuable down the road. But, you know, ultimately with, with how the Sabres have handled this, I kind of feel like it's set a very interesting precedent. I think the first lesson is that you can't really hold on to stars who want to hold out for this long because eventually you're going to have zero leverage and you're going to miss the window for when this player could get a surgery and come back in time to start the regular season. That's already going to ding the trade value, and then if they're seen as having personality issues, it's going to make the trade even harder. And ultimately, there were only a couple of teams that were at this stage still interested in bringing Eichel in. So if they'd made the trade last year, things might have been a little bit better on the return. But right now, as it is, this is probably the best that they could get. That's not bad, but it's not great either. The Jets have somehow lucked out with a lot of the returns in the trades of disgruntled players. Pierre-Luc Dubois being exchanged for Line actually panned out pretty well. The only thing that you could say is that Roslovic went the other way, and he ultimately had a pretty good first year uh, with Columbus, but it was a production level that he was never going to reach with the Jets. And ultimately, you know, PLD may be better than uh, Line and uh, and Roslovic combined in terms of importance to the team, on-ice production, all that stuff. If Lion A stops driving play or becomes more of a one-dimensional player, then, you know, you might see his value decline a decent amount. He's still got an elite release, and I think more than likely his performance that he's doing right now might be something that's sustainable, it's hard to say. But either way, I'm rooting for him to have a really good career with the Jackets. He seems like a fun player. I hope that he finds his stride. And if he can keep playing and putting up these crazy numbers, you could basically say both teams won the trade. It's rare that something that's mutually beneficial occurs, but I think the Jets have somehow managed to go off with quite a few of these deals over the past few years. I don't think that's the norm. And certainly for a team like Vegas, they've been able to sell high on a lot of prospect value and stuff and acquire a really good NHL roster. I think their method is maybe a little bit too risky with some prospects being jettisoned, but because they had such a good foundation to build off of, I think it makes a lot of sense to follow the plan that they're doing. They're a curious team, and it'll be fascinating to see if this whole thing kind of pans out and if Eichel is really the missing piece for them. Uh, aside from the Vegas Knights and, and, of course, the big Eichel trade, the other interesting transaction was Adam Fox signing for seven years at $66.5 million. This is a mega contract, but in the context of all the other deals for D that have been handed out, the Rangers are winning big with one of the truly elite defenders in this league. He's incredible in transition, his offensive positioning and shooting are next level, his passing is excellent. I, you know, Fox basically just does everything to near franchise levels, and I feel like this contract, it is still a lot of money for a defender, but if you're going to be paying that much for one blue liner, Fox is one of those guys where you have to give him that kind of deal. He's an elite defender. He's incredibly good at offense. I, I just think that he checks off every single box you could want from a cornerstone attacking blue liner, and he'll be, at some point, I think, wearing the captain's C down the road. Those are all the, uh, the biggest and craziest transactions from the last 24 hours or so. Up next, we're going to take a look at the Jets tomorrow and what we might see against the Chicago Blackhawks. But before we go any further, just a quick word from some of our wonderful advertisers and sponsors. Hello friends and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are looking ahead to tomorrow's game against the Chicago Blackhawks. It has been a uh, 
bit of an okay start to the season for the Jets so far. A couple of interesting storylines that we're following. Uh, Mikhail Berdin has actually been recalled on an emergency basis, while Veselainen has been sent back to the Moose mostly just for like salary and rostering stuff. So uh, I expect you know Veselainen will be back soon, uh, especially after uh, Hellebuck kind of gets back healthy. It's been said he was feeling unwell, which is not surprising. He and his wife just had a kid, so I think he's probably not getting a lot of sleep. Hopefully he recovers quickly and is feeling good enough for when the Jets ultimately need to call on him again. Also, congrats to the Hellebucks. I'm sure it's an extremely exciting time, and if he spends a couple of uh, couple of games away, I think the Jets can probably give him the time and space he needs. That does mean that Eric Comrie is back in net, and this is kind of a big chance for Comrie to really push the notion that he is Winnipeg's backup. You know, the trade deadline is a couple months away, but... But right now is is the chance for Comrie to kind of say, look, this is my role and we don't need to go out and trade for another uh, goaltender. So I'm kind of happy for him. I think that this is a good chance to stretch his wings and show us what he can do. This will be, I think, his second consecutive start, uh, which is I don't know if this has actually happened with the Jets before. Either way, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Chicago is one of those teams that's going to be a lot easier to beat than some of the other maybe more dangerous opponents that the Jets have faced already. The Hawks are just pretty terrible, and I I don't really see any reason for them to be considered remotely competent. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the NHL. If the Arrows and the Coyotes didn't exist, they'd be somehow at at the bottom below that, but the Oats are a lot worse by virtue of having an even weaker roster, so... Yeah, I don't think this will be too much of a test for Comrie, but it is a nice chance for him to really cement that backup role and show that he does deserve to be the number two. If I'm looking to track a couple of major storylines for this game, aside from Comrie, I also want to see what happens with the Shifley and Wheeler line. They actually had among the lowest ice time for the entire top nine in their last game, which is very uncommon. If the Jets are trying to run three really well-balanced lines, I feel like that would be to Winnipeg's benefit. This is a a big change in philosophy. They used to run the top line constantly, but if they run three lines relatively evenly and within, you know, 19 to 20 minutes a a line, I think that that would actually be darn near perfect. Of course, you uh, you rest the third line or something here and there with some fourth line shifts just to try and distribute it out a little bit more and not burn some guys out. But overall, I mean, that's a much better approach than what the Jets are used to doing. I'd also like to see what exactly the Jets plan to do with Bolu because they keep going back to this 11 forward 7 defender routine, which I don't really think is all that great or useful. Um, Bolu unfortunately doesn't really bring a lot of defensive traits. Oftentimes, when he's under pressure, he turns the puck over, creates odd man breaks the other way, and he consistently features for the penalty kill, which the penalty kill unit is pretty terrible. I mean, it's last in the NHL just about. I think it's conceded... Uh, around 40% of the PKs that the Jets have had to face already. And those are just pretty tragic numbers. So hopefully Winnipeg kind of turns it around. I'd I'd prefer it if they actually brought in somebody a little bit more useful than trying to put seven defenders out there and and using a literal seventh defenseman for like five whole minutes a night, but it's whatever right now. The Jets haven't faced too many great teams, so they can kind of get away with this for the time being. I can't wait to see Christian Veselainen back in the lineup, though. I think he brings some really underrated skill and talent, and in his early NHL career, I think he's been pretty darn good. He honestly just needs to be playing in general because you don't want him to get stiff and start to lose some of that skill and and edge that he brings. Uh, You don't want him to develop any rust. So if you can come back to the Jets sooner rather than later, I'd be pretty happy with that. Let me know what you're looking for in tomorrow night's game at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to do it. 
I'll be back tomorrow night with some thoughts on the game against Chicago and any additional NHL news that breaks out in the time between you finish listening to this and tomorrow's events. But for now, thanks for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Host Scott Collin leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite platforms, so follow and subscribe today. Thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!